Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 27. Happens to correspond to the week of June 19, 2023. This week, we're going to talk about HDL biology, and that's it. It's a little bit long on the HDL side, so we sort of went to nothing more. So what do we know? Okay, so if you remember back a couple weeks ago, we did a long-winded discussion on LDL biology and what was going on with coronary vascular disease and heart disease in general as it was related to lipoproteins and how cholesterol is transported around the body and the risks related to diet and all the above. Well, now we're going to switch sides and look at what's called HDL biology, or high-density lipoprotein, which is what used to be called the good cholesterol, and that is not true. So we're going to look specifically at it from the cholesterol ester transfer protein, or CETP, side. And it's pretty exciting stuff, actually. So in order to do this, we sort of need to get back to the headwaters of what's going on with HDL in the first place. We've got to look at the biology. So there was recently a podcast done by Dr. Peter Atia, where he's interviewing Dr. John Casteline. And that was an excellent discussion and really gave us a lot to chew on as it relates to cardiovascular disease. And so I want to go a little deep here with this information so we can look at the links that are involved in heart disease leading to death in humans that have coronary vascular disease in general. And what can we learn about HDL as a player in this game? So I had to spend a a fair amount of time pulling the papers to fully understand this information, and it was really worth it. But there's a lot to be said here, and it's a lot different than what I was taught in medical school and what I've been learning over the years. And it looks like we're getting clearer and clearer information on what HDL actually does and how it's involved in coronary vascular disease. So the original piece that I did on HDL biology uh, a few weeks ago um, is attached to this piece in the original newsletter if you want to go back and read it and I may actually read part of it here too. But let's get started with the newer science. So Madsen et al. looked at HDL as an associated biomarker for death risk and noted that there was a U-shaped curve with higher all-cause mortality at the very low and very high levels of HDL volume. And so that's interesting. So clearly there's a an involvement of this molecule HDL in risk for cardiovascular disease. So what do we know? Anything that causes more low-density lipoproteins, or LDL, to stay in circulation will raise one's risk for ASCVD, or heart disease. The historical reality, as I've discussed for years in this newsletter and podcast, for why we would have these genomic mutations to have more LDL particles in circulation is one, as a protection mechanism against bacterial infections, which were common for thousands of years. The HDL and LDL particles have receptors on their surface to grab bacterial cell wall debris like LPS and LTE and remove them via the liver. This is a massive benefit to the human species until recent times. And then two, as a storage mechanism for calories, recirculation of metabolically expensive cholesterol. The kicker here is the disease associations. If you're living in 5000 BC, the elevated LDL particle number was protective against disease because in general, no one had diabetes or chronic diseases of aging that would hijack immune function. 
the LDL particle, an HDL particle, would then be useful for infection by grabbing bacterial endotoxin or LPS or LTE monikers out of the bloodstream and then clear them via the liver, reducing immune stimulation overall and death risk from sepsis. Now, when studied, ICU data shows that pre-illness, elevated LDL is protective against bacterial sepsis, death, unless you have comorbid immune dysfunctional diseases like diabetes, gout, hypertension, and metabolic syndrome. That comes just from Feng et al. in 2019. This is so similar to the data on the Tamein Indians of South America who have elevated C-reactive proteins, a marker of inflammation, and elevated LDL levels in the absence of chronic disease of aging and the absence of any signs of coronary vascular disease. So again, you need LDL to be elevated to be a problem, but that's not sufficient to have a problem. You also need inflammation and other reasons. So they're protected against bacterial disease, these Tamein Indians, with their elevated lipoproteins, but they don't suffer our diseases because they lack our exposure to poor quality foods, toxins, lack of movement, and other lifestyle risk factors that drive dysfunctional lipid and immune biology. So let's go back to the HDL story again. There is a series of new data sets coming out that seem to point to HDL biology being beneficial to human health if the CETP or cholesterol transfer protein is mutated or non-functional. Genome-wide association studies, or GWAS, clearly show that the CETP protein is a longevity gene when it is hypofunctioning, i.e. it is not transferring cholesterol molecules from HDL to LDL particles for transport, instead keeping the cholesterol in the HDL. Let's discuss CETP a little deeper. CETP is a gene that encodes for a protein to be made in the liver with the main functions of number one, facilitating transfer of both cholesterol esters from high-density high lipoproteins, HDL particles, to apolipoprotein B-containing particles like LDL and VLDL. Two, facilitating the transfer of triglycerides, these are fat storage molecules, from ApoB particles, the LDL, VLDLs, to the HDL particles. These effects are all about energy transfer and cholesterol recycling in a resource-scarce environment. So again, evolutionary biology would state that these are vastly useful genes if you are trying to conserve energy, not where we find ourselves today. Again, loss of function mutations in the CETP gene encodes for a longevity gene that keeps ApoB particles low and is associated with significantly reduced ASCVD risk reductions. We have to look at the CETP protein in the context of human evolution. From a recent paper by Dr. Laufs and colleagues in 2019 in the European Heart Journal, we see modern humans are effectively stone agers living in a world vastly different from that of our ancient past which involve food insecurity and countless other hardships. Routine seasonal food shortages can constrain human reproduction, and volcanic winters and other episodic catastrophes in our past caused sustained widespread famines that have bottlenecked our global population to just a few thousand breeding pairs. Those who survived and reproduced under such harsh conditions may have been more likely to have so-called thrifty genotypes that made them more efficient at acquiring, utilizing, and storing calories and other nutrients. But around 10,000 to 20,000 years ago, humankind started gaining relief from several major burdens that limited our survival and reproduction, including starvation, predation, and infectious disease. 
These and other changes stabilized the human genome much as it was 10,000 years ago, with thrifty and non-thrifty genotypes alike, now enjoying a remarkably higher probability of reproducing compared with just 2,000 years ago. But when confronted with modernized societies, high-calorie diet, and limited physical activity, those with thrifty genotypes may be predisposed to afflictions of affluence, which may include diabetes, obesity, and hypercholesterolemia. In theory, traits predisposing us to hypercholesterolemia could have evolved to ensure adequate cholesterol levels. However, the biology of cholesterol synthesis and cholesterol triglyceride transport is described below in this article that he's talking about suggests that those traits evolve to ensure adequate energy and adequate energy stores. End quote. I encourage everyone to read that paper. The link is in the Salisbury Pediatric Associates website or in the newsletter. So cholesterol is very metabolically expensive to make, utilizing roughly 36 ATPs in production. That's a lot. Thus, the human body would not want to waste it historically. Transferring it to different tissues or back to the liver via HDL and LDL transfer would be preferable in a time where resources were scarce, leading to recirculation of reuse via a liver and elevations of the bloodstream during periods of food excess. Also, triglycerides are storage forms of fat. That is how we keep energy. Normally, we transfer triglycerides from VLDL and LDL particles to HDL exchange for cholesterol using CETP. In periods of food scarcity, sending the triglycerides to the HDL particle would facilitate more energy deposition in adipose tissue when food was found to be used during food scarcity later on. This is also a net benefit for reproduction as fat stores are critical for females to procreate. So we could assume that CETP was very useful as an energy storage protein in the past. But now it's a problem. It wasn't then. ApoE4 genotypes, apolipoprotein E4 genotypes, also appear to follow the same line of thinking. But we'll talk about that another day when we look at neurodegenerative disease. So if we fast forward to Dr. Castelline's work in his recent publications... CETP inhibitor drugs that raise HDL levels have all been failures in lowering ASCVD risk. However, newer work by Dr. Castelline has shown that if the CETP inhibitor is raising HDL and lowering LDL and improving the function of it, then it will have just shy of a 50% risk reduction. That is significant. What we are learning through evolution and new science is that if the drug can block the transfer of triglycerides to HDL and cholesterol to the LDL, then the risk of the LDL gradient occurring drops because the absolute number of particles with ApoB attached goes down, leading to less lipoprotein finding its way into the heart vessel wall, and that is a good thing. His new data also shows that with the correct CETP inhibition, the liver will make more ApoA1, apolipoprotein A1, which in turn makes more HDL particles to grab the peripheral cholesterol wherever it is in excess, reducing cardiovascular events. And oh, by the way, it has a benefit for infection and sepsis. Dr. Trinder and colleagues have published a nice paper looking at CETP inhibition and HDL levels in relation to bacterial infection and sepsis. And it comes from the paper by Dr. Von Eckerdstein, and that was published in the journal, again, the European Heart Journal. So what did Dr. Von Eckerdstein and his group say? Quote, 
HDLs bind potentially toxic substances such as bacterial lipopolysaccharides, oxidized lipids, as well as some lipophilic xenobiotics. In plasma, potentially hazardous molecules are either eliminated by reverse transport to the liver or inactivated directly on the surface of HDLs. The best investigated example of the latter situation is the hydrolysis of oxidized phospholipids by paraoxinase 1, lipoprotein-associated phospholipase A2, and LCAT. HDLs also exert direct antimicrobial effects on viruses and even protozoa. At least in vitro, HDL or ApoA1 interfere with the entry of or fusion of viruses with target cells. Of note, SRB1 is an entry route of several viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, into cells, and this process may be completed by HDLs. Finally, the proteome of HDLs is enriched with proteases and protease inhibitors, which modulate platelet aggregation, coagulation, fibrinolysis, complement activation, and tissue degradation. They help to counteract the downstream effects of injuries, infections, inflammation, and support wound healing. Of note, functionally related proteins tend to cluster within distinct subpopulations of HDL. End quote. So what is he saying? In other words, when HDL is functioning normally, it has an effect far beyond simple cholesterol triglyceride reverse transport, which is why we had so much failure in understanding why the original drugs that raised HDL levels weren't working. But it is actually a major player in cell signaling and immune activity, which again is one of the reasons I'm fascinated because that's, I think, where everything is going from a scientific perspective. The immune system, hormones, metabolism, all tied together in every outcome in humans. The clearance of bacterial cell wall debris from the bloodstream is so important to avoidance of death during a serious bacterial infection. The removal of oxidized fats from the peripheral tissues in blood is critical to the avoidance of inflammation that destroys the local tissue. There's so much more to learn about the pleiotrophic effects of the HDL lipoprotein. Here comes the rub. HDLs can lose these protective functions in our modern world, leading to worsened chronic diseases. The key to the loss of function is still to be worked out, but appears to be related to inflammation and our modern lifestyles. Autoimmunity and other inflammatory illnesses have dysfunctional HDL biology as a hallmark. Ultimately, again, it comes down to controlling all the upstream targets of inflammation in order to reduce the disease burden of ASCVD. Okay, I'm going to go on in a little minute and sort of re-review the older article on HDL for those who are interested in it, who hadn't listened to it or just want to listen to it again. But section two, I didn't do anything again because it's pretty long. Section three, baked buffalo cauliflower recipe. Awesome. Loaded antioxidants, has vitamin C and lots of magnesium, potassium, lots of fiber and good protein. Some tasty little morsels there. So go check out the recipe. The song of the week is Wonderful Life, Watch Over You, the live version by Alter Bridge. Really, really, really good. Okay, so for those that are sticking around, let's get into the last discussion around HDL biology. So HDL is the main source of reverse cholesterol transport, which is to say that HDL particles transfer excess cholesterol molecules from systemic cells such as the artery wall, immune-based macrophages or foam cells into themselves, the HDL molecule, whereby they are esterified to form cholesterol esters. Lecithin, cholesterol 
acyl transferase, otherwise known as LCAT, esterifies cholesterol to the cholesterol ester, which is hydrophobic, means it doesn't like water, causing it to migrate from the HDL particle surface to the core. This action effect removes cholesterol from peripheral cells and keeps them away, which is thought to be part of the benefit of HDL. The HDL particle then travels through the bloodstream to the liver where the cholesterol as an ester molecule is taken up by the liver by hepatic scavenger receptor called SRB1 and other HDL receptors. The liver then recycles it and or excretes it into the bile for discharge via the bile duct and ultimately in stool. On the other hand, HDL can transfer the cholesterol to an LDL particle increasing the volume of LDL particles which are the major drivers of CVD in humans. A major feature of cardiovascular disease is the deposition of small dense LDL particles in the heart artery vessel wall. When a macrophage, immune cell that engulfs pathogenic molecules swallows a small dense oxidized LDL, it becomes an inflammatory response that leads to metabolically and immunologically active cell called a foam cell. Oxidation is a process that occurs whereby oxygen radicals released by immune cells attack the LDL particles in the vessel wall, leaving them damaged by oxidation and furthering a loop effect, more immune activation. It's like rusting from the inside. HDL particles can prevent this process by releasing certain enzymes that block the oxidation response, this rusting activity. This may be another method for cardioprotection by the HDL molecule. HDL lipoproteins carry a surface protein called apolipoprotein A1, or ApoA1, which is involved in cell signaling leading to the RCT and antioxidant effects of HDL, the reverse cholesterol transport. Interestingly, systemic inflammation reduces the action and volume of ApoA1 proteins that are made in the liver. Inflammation in the body can raise the levels of acute phase reactants like ferritin, C-reactive protein, and amyloid, which can cause the ApoA1 protein to not function properly, leaving the RCT, reverse cholesterol transport, and anti-inflammatory effects of HDL dysfunctional. So yet again, we come back to the same old story. Whatever drives inflammation in the body drives dysfunction of our proteins, drives more disease. So in this case, diabetes, other inflammatory problems of human existence will mess with HDL and LDL biology. Which is why, if you have diabetes, you have a much higher risk of dying of heart disease. Therefore, anything that causes systemic inflammation can negatively affect HDL activity, worsening CBD by blocking reverse cholesterol transport, leaving more oxidized LDL in the heart vessel wall. As we have noted for years in this newsletter, the upstream causes of systemic inflammation are related to nutrition mental and physical stress, sleep, toxin load, sloth, and so much more. It is no wonder that HDL pharmacology, the therapies that have been made, are failures since the upstream targets that render HDL inactive in a reverse cholesterol transport and or oxidation are untouched by HDL enhancing medical therapies. Other recently discovered desired effects of HDL particle are A, the induction of endothelial nitric oxide synthase, which is an enzyme that produces nitric oxide relaxing blood vessels. B, the enhancement of insulin secretion and glucose metabolism, which is very good. Increased activity, C, of adenosine monophosphate kinase. And D, increased lipoprotein lipase, which helps to metabolize triglycerides and fats. And finally, E, enhance immune activity. These effects are all pro-health and anti-inflammatory in nature, causing a loop effect that enhances HDL function and reducing cardiovascular disease risk. What can we learn from disorders of HDL function or volume? There is an inherited rare disease called Tangier disease, where the RCT, or the reverse cholesterol transport, 
of HDL is so low that the activity is minimal, leaving affected individuals with cholesterol ester-filled macrophages throughout the body. Like foam cells of the heart, or orange-colored tonsils, or enlarged livers and spleen. Other diseases like familial HDL deficiency associated with very low serum HDL concentrations and premature heart disease. LCAT deficiency, lecithin cholesterol ACL transferase deficiency presents with annular corneal opacities, progressive renal disease, and proteinuria. Other causes that make low HDL including the, uh, taking drugs such as beta blockers, benzodiazepines, and anabolic steroids can cause problems. So Mendelian randomization studies have failed to show a strong causal link between HDL number and premature CVD risk, so there's something more here. It's not just the number, it's actually the function. So we know these diseases in principle show that HDL is important in the progression of cardiovascular disease. However, this is likely through inflammation and infection reduction and not directly through reverse cholesterol transport. The question remains how and through what mechanisms. More data is needed to answer this question as we are we clear that raising HDL number is not changing CBD risk. This is where John, Dr. John Castelline's work is showing that they are able to reduce this if they can raise function. Let's switch gears and think outside the box, as we did with the LDL cholesterol discussion. Why would we have evolved with HDL molecules other than energy and cholesterol movement? The answer is that with LDL particles, they belong in the immune sphere of influence. They're part of the immune system. From the Journal of Cardiovascular Research, quote, during infections or acute conditions, high-density lipoprotein levels decrease very rapidly and HDL particles undergo profound changes in their composition and function. These changes are associated with poor prognosis following endotoxemia or sepsis and data from genetically modified animal models support a protective role for HDL. The same is true for some parasitic infections where the key player appears to be a specific and minor component of HDL, namely apolipoprotein 1. The ability of HDL to influence cholesterol availability in lipid, in lipid rafts in immune cells results in the modulation of tolic receptors, MHC2 complexes, as well as B and T cell receptors, while specific molecules shuttled by HDL, such as sphingosine 1 phosphate, S1P, contribute to immune cell trafficking. Animal models with defects associated with HDL metabolism and or influencing cell cholesterol efflux present features related to immune disorders. All these functions point to HDL as a platform integrating innate and adaptive immunity, end quote. That's from Catapano et al. 2014, and that's in the journal Cardiovascular Research. So, you know, we look at this stuff again, and we see a critical role for HDL particles like LDL is the natural innate ability to grab bacterial cell wall debris and circulation, bind it and clear it via the liver. This is a good thing. This action reduces immune activation locally and systemic inflammation in total. Bacteria of lipid outer membranes like lipopolysaccharides of the gram-negative type bacteria or lipotiochoic acid, LTA, of most gram-positive bacteria. These cell membrane pieces are highly inflammatory if found in circulation. We know this to be true based on animal models with reduced HDL activity leading to increased inflammation response to a bacterial infection. As discussed with LDL and innate immunity, reduced HDL lipoprotein levels pre-infection increases the overall risk of sepsis post-infection. If HDL levels are high pre-infection, then they will drop rapidly as they clear the bacterial cell wall debris leading to a better overall outcome. 
Although the absolute number matters, I think the function or lack thereof for the HDL particle matters more. HDL volume has been highly associated with inflammation, immune activation, and disease in study. HDL knockout mice models have shown enlarged peripheral lymph nodes and spleen with increased immune cells of the T and B cell lineage and macrophages. As noted earlier, in the, in the HDL disease Tangiers where the HDL is low, these immune cells have an altered function and the lack of HDL molecules leads to an inability to remove cluster osteos from the macrophages, leaving them dysfunctionally prone to stimulating inflammation and oxidation. Over time, these problems can develop an autoimmune or inflammatory immune polarity. The abnormal immune activity can lead to problems with infection as there is a direct effect of the action of these ApoA1 particles and immune activation in a necessary response to bacterial, parasitic, and viral infections. A lot of that data is coming from Bonacina et al. 2021, and that's coming from us in the journal cells. Many immune and autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, systemic erythematosus, are associated with significantly higher risk of CVD and are noted to have HDL particles that are low in absolute number, but also have a characteristic dyslipidemia with high triglycerides, high LDL with low HDL number. The macrophages and white blood cells conversely have high volumes of cholesterol esters inside them, rendering them prone to innate immune activation and inflammation. The abnormal HDL particles are enriched with triglyceride and depleted in cholesterol ester, resulting in attenuated antioxidative activity, reduced anti-inflammatory effects, and lower capacity to promote cholesterol efflux. Therefore, as the data emerges, it appears that the function is key to health outcome, although absolute number matters in the case of infection or sepsis. In autoimmune conditions, HDL function activity is broken. The composition of the HDL cell membrane and thus its activity appears to be pro-inflammatory and pro-immune disease. Look at the statement by Dr. Catapano again. Quote, also patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus, a clinical condition recently redefined as an autoimmune disease rather than just a metabolic disorder, exhibit an impaired HDL metabolism and the presence of dysfunctional HDL. Although the immune-related activities of HDL have a role also in the context beyond the known metabolic functions, is an intriguing hypothesis, which is so far supported by circumstantial observations, end quote. Remember that ApoA1 is the main structural and functional apoprotein of the HDL and plays a key role in the induction of cholesterol removal from peripheral cells with a plan to take them back to the liver for clearance. This interaction with the cells results in cholesterol depletion and disruption of intracellular signaling in the cell membrane lipid rafts. These lipid rafts allow for receptors with key immunological functions like toll-like receptors and T and B cell receptors to be active and immune stabilizing. We now know that the lipid composition of rafts determines their function and that any modification of lipid composition can modulate signaling, altering immune cell biological functions. More data is emerging that the HDL molecule will deplete cholesterol from the lipid rafts, altering cell signals to be anti-inflammatory and pro-resolution of systemic inflammation. When infusing HDL into an arthritic mouse with bacterial inflammation, the response was to reduce all inflammation via the downregulation of toll receptors and immune cell signaling. I assume that these HDL cells were fully functional. That's why the number wasn't the big piece. This may be the key to failed HDL pharma trials. If the drug was increasing a person's HDL number but not improving function, Lo and behold, we have failure.
When looking at the diverse immune functions of ApoA1 HDL particles, these cells, we see so many that are involved in immune homeostasis and reduced inflammation. Decreased toleric receptor signaling, white blood cell activation and proliferation, dendritic cell differentiation, maturation, and antigen presentation, interferon response, macrophage activity, M1 macrophage, polarity. For the non-medical professionals, what I just said there is this. These changes are all associated with reduced inflammation, autoimmunity, and reduced disease in general. Inflammation keeps coming back to being the big, 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 big key. And again, the bottom line to all this stuff is diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin avoidance. It is not that difficult from that perspective. The biology is fascinating and complex, but the basics are not. When we think about, again, COVID death, that was highly associated with dyslipidemia and especially a low HDL level, quote, low and high HDL, low HDLC and high triglyceride levels were negatively associated with COVID-19 related mortality, end quote. That's from AYDIN Aiden et al. from Angiology in 2022. Is that a coincidence, that statement? No way. I don't think so. These dyslipidemic changes are all a sign of a broken lipoprotein functionality, and this leads to poor immune infection action, clearance, and resolution. There was a reason all along for the generation of abnormally high and low volumes of lipoproteins in human history. Evolutionary biology said we needed this. Survival, this is how we survived infection, procreated, and kept our species alive. As always, the genetics of CVD are less about a mistake of humanity's evolution and more a mistake of our modern lifestyle in relation to our evolving genetics. The biggest and most profound understanding for me after doing this deep dive into LDL and HDL biology is that human is the, in humans is that the understanding that our lifestyle choices are driving dyslipidemia, altering immune lipid functional capacity, leaving us in a pro-inflammatory state and prone to disease of aging, including autoimmunity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, on and on and on and more. What's the answer? Everything discussed in last newsletter on LDL biology. And we've been talking about this for a long time in this podcast and newsletter. So, folks, that's it for today. I know that was a little long-winded, but this HDL, LDL, cardiovascular biology is the root cause of so, so, so many things. As with many of you, my kids are home for the summer. It's glorious. It's a happiness time. I get a lot of smiles, lots of connection, and lots of joy. With that, as always, hug those kids. Have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this audio-casted newsletter is for the educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This audio-casted newsletter does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.